Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, May 2nd, and we're talking Tesla. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Auto Analyst John Rosevere via Skype. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. How are you, Nick? I'm doing great, John. Tesla, <laughs> one of my favorite companies to follow. For our listeners, full disclosure, I own some long-dated puts on this company I started buying a few months ago. Um, so, I'm trying to be as objective as possible about this, but just, just keep that in mind as we talk about it. Um, John, you know, we, we, we talked about Tesla back on March 7th. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of the things we talked about today, the story is still playing, playing out. So, we talked about, looks like, uh, with price cuts, demand had been slowing down. Had their store closure strategy that, at the time we questioned, it since has been backed off. Uh, we're seeing where they're going to manufacture the Model Y, talking about the production guidance. The SEC case has been resolved. We got uh, Tesla's Autonomy Day, which gave us some more guidance on autonomy. And we asked whether Tesla would raise cash. And that's where I want to start off today, uh, <laughs> because just this morning today, Tesla uh, dropped a prospectus uh, to raise up to $2.3 billion in cash via a sale of convertible bonds and a secondary offering of stock. So, the breakdown of that. They're, they're suggesting they're going to raise $640 million in net proceeds from selling 2.7 million shares, with Musk buying $10 million of those, and then an additional $1.35 billion in convertible notes uh, due in five years. So, John, as you see this filing, you know it came out this morning. What's your early reaction? Um, that They're plugging a hole here. I mean, they had a significant working capital deficit in the first quarter. Uh, this will cover it. It won't cover a whole lot more. Um, it is interesting that you know we're not going to do a raise. We're not going to do a raise, and then this this comes out. Um, I, I go back to something we talked about a lot back on March seventh, which is there's a heck of a story unfolding behind the scenes here, and someday we'll know what it is. But <laughs> right now, uh, this is this is uh, you know I look at this and and you see people on Twitter celebrating, yay! Now they can fund the Model Y, they can fund the Semi, they can fund this, they can fund that, and like. No, that's just going to keep the lights on for a while. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I mean, unless something big turns from what happened in the first quarter, this is this is this is about keeping the lights on. Yeah, you, you saw, you know, and we can go into the first quarter earnings now, uh, you know, if if we want to. Uh, we got those results back a couple of weeks ago, and I guess j- just. The report left something to be desired. Um, revenue down 41 percent uh, from the fourth quarter. Uh, the, the company citing challenges when it came to delivering their vehicles overseas. They said they delivered over half their vehicles in the last 10 days of the quarter. Called out some weakness due to seasonality. Obviously, some pull forward of sales due to the expiration of the U.S. EV tax credit. Um, you know, so so the issues they're facing. I, I think if you look at the first sentence of their earnings press release, you can kind of see how the environment around this company has changed. You look at Q2 2018, Tesla. We made significant progress on the Model 3 ramp in the second half of Q1, and that momentum continued into early Q2. Q2 2018. It's fair to say that no production ramp of any other product has been as closely watched and debated as that as Model 3. Q3 2018. Q3 2018 was a truly historic quarter for Tesla. Q4 2018. Last year was the most pivotal year in Tesla's history. Q1 2019, their most recent quarter. We ended the quarter with $2.2 billion in cash and cash equivalents, a $1.5 billion reduction from 2018. So, the story, even the way Tesla is putting it, has, has gone from a growth story driven by Model 3 ramp to, we have enough cash to, to keep the lights on. That kind of reflects what you said, John. But as you saw this earnings report from Tesla, what really stood out to you? What were the important things that you know, just jumped out at you? They lost a ton of money. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it really, it really isn't 
um, it's just it's just the way Musk walked the guidance down over the course of the quarter, and then boom, surprise! It, it was a, it was a big loss. Um, it wasn't. I mean, they've made these sort of weak arguments around, well, you know, we're selling tons of cars. We've just had trouble delivering them because X, Y, Z. But I, I mean, it really feels like demand has slipped and that we are now seeing, you know, Tesla is scaled from a manufacturing perspective for maybe more cars that it's going to be able to to sell on a, on a running basis, on an ongoing basis. And, you know, in, in the auto industry where Fixed costs are high, and we can talk all day about how Tesla is not an automaker or whatever, but Tesla right now is mostly an automaker, and their fixed costs are tremendously high because they've scaled for uh, demand that does not appear to be materializing. That raises the cost per car, and that squeezes the margins. And, you know, we can talk about gross margins all day, but but at some point, uh, Tesla needs operating income, <laughs> and they haven't had any of that to speak of. You know, they certainly didn't in the first quarter. I mean, they, they got clobbered. And, and, and now we're back to talking about burn and a cash raise and so forth. And this is an 18-year-old company. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, we're still here. And, and I think that's my takeaway here. And, and to step back from that, uh, clearly watching the stock trades uh, in the last couple of weeks, the story, the story feels like it has changed and the sentiment has changed. Yeah, just just to give yeah, you know, they said they lost a large amount of money. Just to give you some context, you know, they had lost four dollars and ten cents earnings per share versus you know the consensus analyst estimate of seventy five cents. So it's really a, a significant miss. And as you mentioned, you know, the the analyst uh, response to, to the company has really seemed to shift. I mean, the very first question on the on the earnings conference was really just straight, you know, a Goldman analyst. It's really going right at uh, Tesla. And then and following you know the release of the ten Q, we've had some more criticism. Um, come out, uh, you know, the headline gross margin on on the uh, the the the, um, the the earnings press release that Tesla put out had a twenty point three percent gross margin. However, they did not disclose in that press release, not until the ten Q, that uh, over two hundred million dollars of its sales were from these non-zero EV tax credits, likely arising from from uh, the the recent deal that that kind of got leaked uh, that Tesla had partnered with Fiat Chrysler uh, to to uh, sell. Uh, pool their vehicles sold into Europe to to help Fiat avoid some fines, but you, you had uh, you had some analysts really getting upset that uh, that those weren't disclosed. If you back out those zero emission vehicle tax credits, which are really 100% gross margin uh, uh, sales, and you back those out to get to the true automotive margin, you're you're getting a 15% gross margin. That's another 5% bump um, that really analysts were were concerned with. Um, you know, CapEx is way behind schedule, so uh, they they're, have a range of between two and two point five billion for the year. However, in the first quarter, they reported three hundred million dollars in CapEx. That's twelve percent uh, of their annual guidance. So that has to really ramp up in the back half of the year. Yeah, it just with with this new capital, it, it's not even gonna it's not gonna create the cash to, to support that, John. I just even at a high level here. The story for Tesla for years has been, you know, well, yeah, of course they're not making money because they're plowing it all back into the business. Well, they've cut capex to the bone here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's where, where, where are those plows going, guys? Yeah. And, and it's it's just not selling enough cars. Yeah, and, and you know, we we'll, we'll say you know Tesla ha- has called out and said that you know it, it was some issues getting stuff overseas. They think that uh, you know in 
this you know next quarter as things normalize, you know they'll see some more normal normalized uh, deliveries. They did report that the Model Three uh, is still the highest selling luxury vehicle. I believe they they called out that it outsold uh, the next closest uh, car in its category by sixty percent. So the Model Three. Is very, is well, very popular. Let, let, let's back up there. It's outselling luxury sedans, yep. but sedan sales are falling across right. the industry because people are going to the SUV next to it in the showroom. Uh, you know, right? <laughs> so. and, and and then yeah, and, and the Model Three, you can say obviously there's pull forward of of demand, and there's been a huge ramp in the back half of the year. However, if you look at Model S and X, these are the vehicles that have been around for a long period of time, and uh, they had a 45 percent sequential decline in growth, um, dipped uh, to 12,500 in sales. Uh, which is versus a two-year run rate of twenty-five thousand a quarter. So, and those are the higher-margin vehicles. Really, some really some question marks there. We'll see how things play out. Obviously, Tesla has maintained their guidance going into the back half of the year. They expect demand to ramp up. Um, that's something to continue to watch as we move into the second quarter. Um, other things that, w- that we saw kind of coming out of the 10Q is, is Tesla has begun to qualify some new battery suppliers. Uh, so in their 10K on page 10, they said they qualified only one battery supplier. But if you look at the 10Q on page 53, they say they've qualified a very limited number of battery suppliers. So w- there's been some reporting over the past few weeks. I think I talked about it at the top of the show uh, with Lou Whiteman a couple weeks ago. Panasonic has ceased further investment in the Gigafactory. And it seems yep. to be that Tesla has been looking for new suppliers. So as you see some indication that Tesla is you know, reaching out and qualifying new battery suppliers, uh, Elon had called out, uh, you know, tweeted that, that Panasonic had been a constraint um, on, on their production since the summer. You know, maybe a couple weeks ago he had tweeted that. So as you see Tesla starting to qualify new battery suppliers, what, is, what does that mean for you as an observer of the company? And is that encouraging for, for Tesla? Um, what I'm hearing, first of all, we're mostly hearing one side of the story. I mean, Panasonic has, has let slip some things in the Japanese business press, but they haven't said a whole lot yet. They report, uh, what will be the end of their fiscal year as of March 31st, I think next week. I think it's, I think it's next Thursday. Um, and I suspect we're going to hear considerably more then about the state of the relationship with Tesla. I, you know, one side of it is, yeah, sure. Tesla should be maybe be sourcing batteries from multiple sources like other uh, automakers moving into the electric vehicle space seem to be doing. The other is, dude, they built this ginormous factory in the desert uh, with Panasonic and it's not working out. So they're buying batteries from, you know, from whoever, uh, like everybody else is. And, and, you know, the Gigafactory has been part of the story. Only Tesla will have enough batteries. Only Tesla this. Only Tesla that. Um, and the Gigafactory, it sounds like the Gigafactory. I mean, they, they call everything a Gigafactory now. But the Gigafactory, the Gigafactory is the one making, you know, a gigawatts per, worth of batteries every every year. Um, that this isn't working out. And Tesla is a company that has a long history of uh, burning relationships with suppliers. And I wonder if we finally hit the point where they've burned Panasonic. Uh, you know, the most famous one is Mobileye, uh, which was supplying key technology for um, their advanced driver assist system, Autopilot, and and which basically walked away after that horrific accident a couple of years ago, um, which, you know, Musk tried to spin as an advantage and so forth. But but to people who were really watching carefully, it was clear what went on here. Um they're just hard to work with. They're they're not building. Rela- they they 
the company has never been good at building relationships in the existing automotive supplier ecosphere. And they're reaching a point where fewer and fewer companies want to do business with them. And Panasonic, which, which made this huge investment and this very public, very visible investment, um, seems to be on the verge of walking away. And, and that's, that's hugely significant. And yeah, sure. Uh, battery cells are becoming commodities and, and Tesla will be able to buy them elsewhere. But the Gigafactory was pitched for years as a key part of the strategy and a key part of why Tesla would succeed in this space while traditional automakers failed. And it's not working out. And that's, that's again, when you step back a little bit from the details, that's a big dent in the story. Yeah, and and if you look back, I mean, in, in 2016, Tesla was also citing issues with with battery production as a constraint on 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 their being able to ramp. You know, given that we're three years later and these issues are are, are still are still presenting themselves. To be fair, Tesla has ramped production of vehicles in a really significant way. Obviously, the Model Three is a much higher volume vehicle than the S and X ever were. Um, but but you know, these are still issues that the company is facing after you know, like you said, it's it's been around for a long period of time. So. As they move to, as they start to qualify some new suppliers, maybe that can smooth out some of the issues. They're not as dependent on Panasonic, uh, but something to continue to watch. As you mentioned, Panasonic has been a key, key, key supplier for Tesla throughout its history. So, you know, uh, there's pros and cons here. We'll, we'll just have to see how things play out. Um, the other thing I wanted to call out is in the 10Q, had a little bit of a change in guidance. So if you look at the 10K, uh, Tesla on page 16 of the 10K at, at targeted an annual production rate for the Model 3, um, annualized production rate for the Model 3 of 500,000 vehicles between Q4 2019 and Q2 2020. However, if you look at the most recent 10Q, there's a change in language there. So instead of a run rate of 500,000 Model 3s during that period, they're now calling for a run rate of 500,000 of all vehicles during that period. How is this, is this significant at all for you, John, or just you know Tesla? realigning guidance with what they're able to deliver it's tesla realigning guidance with what they're able to deliver uh the question is will they find five hundred thousand buyers in that time period and that that is increasingly a serious question I, I, the assumptions around tesla have always been that there will be unlimited demand here and and you know we talked about this at length in our last podcast the whole idea of crossing the chasm from the enthusiast early adopters to the mass market and signs continue that they haven't quite managed it and that's going to, you know, are, are they going to find 500,000 buyers? And and traditionally in the auto business, when you set your goals around production uh, and then throw them to the dealers to sell them at whatever price they can sell them, that's not good for margins. <laughs> you know, especially going into some economic uncertainty, perhaps. I mean, China's in a slump right now, at least in terms of auto sales. Uh, the, the, this could be a setup for you know, a fire sale. Uh, I mean, we've already seen them cutting prices, what, three times this year, four times this year. Yep. And, and at some point, you know, you're not selling vehicles at a profit at all. And, and I think, I think they've already narrowed their margins considerably, no matter what they've painted for a gross margin in the first quarter report, uh, real world, you know, when we start to look at operating margins, um, it's got to, it's getting worse, not better. And, 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 and I think by, by continuing to target, you know, production targets while just kind of assuming that demand is unlimited, they're walking into a trap here. 
Right. I mean, for for companies like this, you know, uh, you talk about the idea of operating leverage, and operating leverage works both ways. Mm-hmm. As you scale mm-hmm. uh, and demand continues to increase, then you can grow your margins. But if demand begins to collapse, it starts working against you. So, you know, we'll- and in the auto industry, where the fixed costs are so high, it starts working against you quickly, even at what might sound like a good annual total number of sales. If you've scaled for a lot more, you're in trouble. So again, again, something to watch with this company. Um, last thing I want to mention when it comes to change in language from the 10K to the 10Q revolves around compliance with financial and debt covenants. So on the 10K, page 109, Tesla says, as of December 31st, 2018, we're in compliance with all financial debt covenants. And uh, the 10Q on page 22, however, the language has changed to they are in material compliance with all financial debt covenants. Again, John, is this significant? How, how, how should we look at this change in language, or is it just a nothing burger? Uh, I, was, I was in a lively debate on Twitter over whether this was significance or not. Uh, <laughs> and the answer is we don't know. Uh, it may be that, that uh, you know, one of their debt holders um, is willing to kind of hand wave over uh, some evidence of some peripheral evidence of noncompliance. And they said, you know what, we're not going to worry about it because we want to maintain our place in line here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if and when things go kablooey. Uh, and, and, and we don't want to force things because we're still hoping to get paid um, 100%. So, I, or it may be, you know, I still, I still sit with the possibility that, you know, there's a new associate at the law firm and <laughs> And they, they had responsibility for this section, so they edited it a little bit. I don't know. We don't know if it's we don't know if it's a material change. To add the word material yeah. uh, before the word <laughs> compliance, we don't know if it's a material change. And uh, you know, it, it seems possible that again, there's a story behind the scenes, but I don't know whether it's a big story or a small story. Yeah, again, something to continue to watch. Obviously, the numbers reported in this quarter uh, indicate some strain on the company that'll continue to play out. We'll see how things go. Uh, you know, for for Tesla's credit, uh, they are saying that as they overcome uh, these issues shipping vehicles overseas, things will smooth out and, and the trajectory should start uh, moving up and to the right. You know, we'll have to see until the next quarter to see you know how that plays out. Uh, but something to continue to watch. Uh, again, uh, that same week that earnings report, I want to move on to Tesla's autonomy day now and discuss a little bit uh, what's going on with Tesla from an autonomous point of view. Uh, so Tesla had an autonomy day the Monday before they reported earnings. So Monday they reported earnings. Uh, no, excuse me. Monday they had the autonomy day, and then Wednesday they reported earnings, and and so really the autonomy day uh, seemed to be something that really is like the uh, the future of our company is bright. Don't worry about this near term issues, um, <laughs> and uh, and we have really big opportunities. And so I want to talk about kind of what they revealed uh, uh, during that presentation, and kind of get your reaction as someone who's really been following the auto industry for a long time, has really kind of studied up on autonomy to try to be you know a, as knowledgeable as you can. So kind of go through one by one. Uh, the first thing Tesla really rolled out, which I, was really quite impressive, is they revealed their new uh, self-driving chip. Uh, they said it's going to be capable of processing 2,300 images per second, 21 times better than the processor they currently used, uh, designed by former Apple engineer Pete Bannon, who now works at, uh, at Tesla. You know, Musk called it objectively the best chip in the world. You know, a- as you look at what they revealed, you know, uh, what, should, what should investors know about, about this chip and what it means for Tesla? I don't know. <laughs> um, because I, 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 I mean, it uses, it uses less power than, um, the NVIDIA 
equivalent. Uh, the NVIDIA equivalent has more computing power. Uh, there's an Intel Mobileye solution coming that we haven't quite seen yet. We don't know how that's going to fit into this, uh, the next generation Intel Mobileye solution. Um, I, I don't know. And, and, and again, to step back to a higher level, I don't know how to take any of this. And, <laughs> and you know, we, we have people like, like this boutique shop, Ark Investments, who's out on Twitter saying, you know, these guys are four years ahead of everybody else because we have analysts who tell us so. And then uh, people who have spent a lot of time watching the state of, of autonomous vehicle development across multiple companies saying Tesla's not really in the game at this point. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I really don't. I mean, I engineers seem to think, well, okay, if it delivers, it's, you know, it's legit, it's a contender. Um, we don't know. Yeah, it's, it, that's, that's a real question. I, and I, the whole story around Tesla when it comes to autonomy has really been just two opposite poles. So you have, you know, uh, one group that says Tesla's so far ahead that, you know, they can't help but, but you know, go against <laughs> the consensus. And they're so far ahead that, you know, no one else can understand how they're doing, and then you have this other side of the market um, that is, that is seems to be suggesting that you know they're full of it, and that, that there's and and that chasm was really not closed uh, by this autonomy day. So I, I think people saw what they wanted to see um, in this reporting. Uh, the thing on the chip, going back to the chip, the, the question mark some people have had is is computing power the bottleneck that that's keeping self driving uh, from from starting? I, I don't think. The criticism of Tesla's self-driving hasn't arisen from their computing power as much as it's arisen from whether their current sensor suite is capable of the type of data observation needed uh, to you know, achieve reliable self-driving. And I want to talk about their strategy a little bit and kind of get your thoughts as well, as well, John. So, so Tesla. Just to back up one step. Yep. The power consumption thing actually is significant. Yep. I mean, you're putting a big, you're pu you're putting a data center in the trunk of an electric car. It's going to draw a lot of power. Uh, obviously, drawing less power is better because uh, that leaves you with more range for your self-driving car. Uh, this is significant. It's not really in the picture of a lot of in the minds of a lot of investors and people thinking about this quite yet, but it's going to be a big discussion as, as these things start to roll out. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, we've got this great autonomous system, but, but the, the, the computers, the computing uh, apparatus uses so much power that it only has 80 miles of range and it has to come in and recharge every few hours. I, I don't know. It, you know, t Tesla seems to have a little bit of a leap on NVIDIA right now on that front. Again, we don't know, um, how this is going to shape up once cars actually start to deploy, though. But 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 that is significant. The power consumption is more significant than I think people are realizing right now. Yeah, right, exactly. So when Elon comes out and says, uh, you know, the the chip is objectively the best in the world by the measure of computing power uh, to both cost and computing power to the energy required to to, to power the system uh, to to run uh, uh, the chip. This chip is is among the best in the world, if not if not right up there uh, in a class of its own. So really really a significant breakthrough. Um, I want to talk about now if if they deliver on the claims. Yes, yes, and that's and, and that's where I, I, yeah, and that's and that's where get, kind of moving on to where some of the folks in the autonomy industry uh, more broadly, the questions they they've put forward to Tesla and and you know Musk has, has responded to these is uh, Tesla's strategy depends on using only cameras and a forward facing lidar, I mean forward facing uh, radar array uh, to to observe the world and, and carry out its self driving functions uh, you know Elon has dismissed 
LiDAR and HD maps used by the rest of the industry as crutches, said only humans use their eyes uh, eyes to, uh, you know, humans only use their eyes to drive. So, that there again, there's been questions from other folks in the EV community, I mean, the, the autonomous vehicle community, as to whether it's prudent to, to pursue a strategy not using uh, LiDAR um, and, and HD maps, uh, not using uh, a, a geofenced controlled area uh, to operate your self-driving vehicles. We'll see how the strategy works out for Tesla, but that, that's kind of been been the question mark. The Thought. people I talk to around this think, well, okay, there, you know, you can squint and see a path here, but it's a moonshot kind mm-hmm. of path. It's it's a yeah, maybe they come out in ten years and they've made it work kind of path. It's it's not a this is going to market with a high level of safety next year kind of path, <laughs> you know, right. and 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 and. With vehicles carrying people, uh, a lot of the thinking around autonomous vehicles at other companies has come from thinking around uh, the same kind of thinking we do around aircraft when they fly on autopilot. You need redundancy. You need a backup. You need belt and suspenders and and maybe a parachute, too. You know, Um, it's and that's why LIDAR, LIDAR. with the 3D maps, uh, this is for vehicles that are gated to the, basically limited to the area they've mapped. Uh, the LIDAR takes the measurements that tells the car where it is on the map uh, with a great deal of precision, you know, to a few inches or less even. And that's, is that a crutch if you've got a really, really sophisticated system with a lot of cameras? You can sort of squint and see how it might be, or at least so the people who are far more expert in this tell me. Uh, but but again, it's a moonshot. Mm-hmm. It's a moonshot to be able to pull this off. Right. And the question mark really comes from, so getting a car to the level that it can, you know, do a kind of a driver assist systems, follow cars, lane keep, that sort of thing, compared, is comparatively not that difficult compared to reaching a level five system that can handle any sort of, of, of occurrence that may happen. Uh, that, that's where a, a lot of the industry has said that, you know, to get to that first level of self-driving, the LiDAR and all that stuff may be superfluous, but to get to that 99.999, that extra, you know, uh, confidence interval that the, these extra op- observations give you is what Waymo and Cruz have cited as something that's really important. It, it, we'll see how, how Tesla, how Tesla's system plays out. You know, it's going to take some time for their, for their uh, you know, uh, inference systems to continue to learn. Um, uh, they did. Hey, Waymo, Waymo and Cruise, and I have talked to senior officials at both companies, uh, or at least at GM. Um, I have not talked to Kyle Bode, who's the CEO of Cruise, but I have talked to Dan Ammon, uh, who is his boss. Uh, the thinking is that, I mean, safety is so critical here because it's going to be all about public acceptance of the technology. And, and, and it could easily go in a direction of robot cars kill people. I'm not getting in one. And then, you know, the whole business is bust. It's gone. And, or at least for a generation, it is so, they are being so careful. I mean, Waymo and Cruz are racing, but they are racing with great care and, and, and just talking to people at GM, you know, they had said, we think we might get it out in 2019. Now they're saying, you know, we're going to get it out when it's ready. Mm-hmm. We're going to get it out when it passes our safety gates. And we're not too concerned about when that is. We're going to get it out when it passes our safety gates. And and with Waymo, I mean, I mean, you know, they've started a little bit of deployment. But again, it's the same kind of discussion. It's got to be safe. They've got to know it's safe. They've got to know they can, you know, 
rock solid trusted. And Tesla's saying, well, you know, we're going to leapfrog all their technology and we're going to have it all out there next year. Mm. And I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. It's a real different thing. <laughs> yeah. The other advantage uh, Tesla has cited, they cited their chip gives them advantage. Uh, they, they think the rest of the industry is is kind of using a system that it's not going to scale as well, uh, you know, using LiDAR and things like that. But Tesla's also talked about the, the advantage they have from their fleet from a data point of view that they can, uh, whereas um, – you know, uh, uh, Waymo and Cruz are. You have to use test drivers to make observations. Uh, Tesla has, you know, I want to say, uh, hundreds of thousands of vehicles on the road that can report report uh, data back to them. They can then label that data and use that use that to uh, to do do some autonomous, you know, do some some yeah, learning. They, but there are questions of how much data is really getting reported back to Tesla and how much processing they're able to do around it and so forth. And and it 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 seems fairly clear that that is. You know, they've got data, but it's not the advantage that they've tried to play it up as. Yep. Uh, last thing, too, they, they called out this this Tesla network they've been talking about uh, for a period of time that Tesla owners, if they buy the vehicle, uh, can then through the Tesla app, uh, let their car drive autonomously, drive people around, um, you know, when they're not using the car. Elon has said they'll have one million level five robo taxis on the road with the hardware necessary for self-driving by 2020, a, a capable of doing this. You know, to be seen whether that's delivered upon. Tesla first said its vehicles had hardware capable of full self-driving in October 2016. We're today in, you know, uh, what is it, May 2019. So, you know, if Tesla delivers, this is this is a, this is a huge huge thing for the company. Obviously, you know, they, it's going to drive demand for them to purchase the cars uh, uh, should should they deliver on this offering. And you know, Tesla needs to drive demand today. So so. Um, uh, to be seen. I, any last thoughts? I mean, as you know, it, once this this full self driving is realized and Tesla moves toward a, a fleet structure, is does the business have to change to accommodate that? Or assuming assuming everything goes according to plan, what does Tesla look like in five years? Well, first of all, the cars have to change. Yeah. I mean, this is the first thing I thought. All the Tesla guys make fun of the Chevy Bolt because it's kind of upright and boring, and it has this rugged cloth interior that isn't soft and sexy like the leather seats and all this stuff. Well, guess what? The Bolt is a taxi. The Bolt was designed for this application. It was designed uh, for Uber Lyft duty uh, with an idea that eventually they would they would use it as their platform for autonomous driving and that it would be a self-driving taxi in time and would evolve into one. And in fact, that is where GM is going. You know, the cruise vehicle is, is a heavily modified bolt. It's a very different kind of car. I, I mean, when you're designing a vehicle to go a million miles in fleet service, you design the interior very differently. You design uh, the shape of the vehicle very differently. You design the roof line very differently. You use different motors. You use different fabrics. You use different uh, assembly techniques for, you know, to the extent that your self-driving car has a dashboard, uh, because there are all sorts of squeaks and rattles possible in there. And nobody is going to convince me that you take a Model 3 and put a million miles on it and that anybody's going to want to sit in that, especially if it's a, a million miles on taxi service. Uh, you know, first of all, Tesla can't get spare parts out for the cars it has in a timely fashion, which is becoming a growing issue uh, to expanded adoption. Uh, you're going to put these cars in in 24-hour-a-day service and and tell us that you're going to run them a million miles but but not make parts available? I, I mean, 
this is they're not ready for this. They haven't thought this through. Yeah. And I mean, they haven't thought this through with people who actually understand the issues. It's clear. This is a this is a another one of these things that we talked about back on March 7, where it's, you know, Elon just came up with this thing and they scrambled to get something out on it. They, they haven't thought it through. I, I, you know, the Model 3 is not the product you want for this. It's Model S certainly isn't a product you want for this. Um, and and this just isn't going to work. It certainly isn't going to work for 18 cents a mile or whatever they said. It's just not. Yeah, it, you know, there's some skepticism as to whether anybody will ever get much below a dollar a mile. Um, yeah. You know, even running with purpose-built vehicles uh, that are relatively inexpensive to manufacture and all of that. Yeah. I, Along those lines, we've seen just in the past, you know, week or two, we had three different ride-hailing or you know car rental companies utilizing Tesla and their fleet have ceased operations uh, in three different countries. So you had a Chinese ride-hailing company, Shenhua, Shenma. I'm not even going to try to say that. I'm not even going to try to say the, the second name. Uh, they they cited uh, that you know uh, rented three billboards on, on Times Square, uh, saying that they had had issues. Uh, with 20% of their Teslas in their fleet, which led to them uh, having having to lose money at EC Rent, which is a Netherlands-based company, used to rent out Teslas by the day, uh, cited they had to shut down their activities due to increasing te- technical defects with their Tesla Tesla fleet, as well as a, 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 a ride-sharing company in Sweden, Yumia L Taxi, filed for bankruptcy, blaming in part that the Model S uh, that it operated as part of its fleet. So, again, we're going to have to see some kind of proof out of that these cars can function over a long period of time as uh, as you know autonomous taxi vehicles that the maintenance is going to be there uh, for this to be able to work at scale but uh, you know time will tell Elon has, has has achieved things that are very incredible that people doubted in a very serious way before so we'll just have to see um, I want to move on John we're kind of kind of running running late on our, on our, on our podcast so I kind of run through a few things quickly. Uh, so SEC settlement, we got uh, that finalized uh, last Friday, I believe, and uh, you know there'd been a lot of hype around this, but it, it turned out to more or less be uh, kind of a nothing burger. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 just it's sort of reminding him what he can and can't say without permission, <laughs> yep. without prior approval. Yes. Yeah. That, so uh, <laughs> the uh, the original settlement had said that you know uh, Musk couldn't tweet about things that would materially impact Tesla stock. There were some questions about what material meant there, and so with with this new uh, settlement, uh, the SEC essentially enumerated you know you can't tweet about securities, you can't tweet about very very specific things. So uh, the guidelines are much more tightened uh, tightened down. Uh, the judge really wanted uh, the, the SEC and Musk to sell it on their own. And that happened. So, so we'll see how things develop. But there's much more clear guidelines what Elon can tweet, and that's what the SEC has done. Um, when we talked March 7th, we talked about the Model Y and questions around where that might be manufactured. When we heard the Q1 earnings conference call, Elon confirmed our suspicions that uh, Tesla does not uh, yet know where they're going uh, to manufacture. I think they're, they said they're choosing between Nevada and their factory uh, in California. What's interesting there, though, is Elon said that they've already ordered the tooling that will go into the factory. Uh, any thoughts on that, John? Yeah, who have they ordered the tooling from? <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, they haven't ordered it from any of the big companies. I, I, I mean, or if they have, it's been kept very, very quiet. And how do you order tooling without knowing the space the tooling's going into? You don't. Uh, at least you don't know order all of the tooling. I mean, they may be having 
dies made or something like that. But it's not like they're going to be ready to install a production line anytime soon. And and even then, if you know, if it's going to be at 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 the Nevada Gigafactory, they've got to build a paint shop, and that's a that's a, a an essential component in in a car factory. And it takes time to build, and it takes money to build, and there haven't been any signs that they've started doing anything like that yet. And so uh, maybe they've maybe they've ordered some tooling. Maybe they've gotten price quotes on some tooling from some company somewhere. Um, I would take that with a grain of salt at this point. Sure. Yeah. If you don't know the box that the the tools have to fit in, I don't. I don't. You know. But we'll see. Yeah. Elon's a lot smarter than me. Um, so uh, other uh, one, two two more things. Um, First, uh, there's been some changes around how customers can order the Model 3 standard range. So that was the $35,000, $36,000 Model 3. Uh, you now have to either call or go to a Tesla store uh, to order that vehicle. You know, given uh, as you see Tesla changing the, the way customers can purchase that uh, lower end Model 3, any thoughts or a response to that? Um. You have to go to the store and whisper the double secret password, and you can get one. And that, you know, it allows Tesla to claim they can sell; they're selling it. Yep. But I don't see too many getting bought. And of course, you go to the store and whisper the double secret password, and they say, "Hey, you know, the the the, the short range model doesn't come with all these features that you see on this car right here. Don't you want to pay a little more and get something a little nicer? <laughs> yep. Yeah, something that will actually deliver some margins to Tesla, <laughs> which I'm not sure the thirty six thousand dollar car does. Yep. Again, uh, something to follow. Last thing I want to talk about, and you know, this this news has kind of gotten swallowed up in all the other news around Tesla. But on Good Friday, Tesla dropped a filing announcing that forty percent of their board is going to be leaving at the end of their terms. So, uh, board members Brad Buss, Stephen Jurvetson, and Linda Johnson Rice will be leaving after the 2019 annual meeting. Uh, no, excuse me, uh, Brad Buss and Linda Johnson Rice will be leaving at the 2019 meeting, and then Stephen Jurvetson and Antonio Gracias will be leaving after the 2020 annual meeting pending an approval for Gracias. So, and and there's from what I've seen there's no intention to replace these board members. They're going to downsize the board. I mean, uh, thoughts on that? Uh again, there's a story here that we haven't heard yet. Um I don't know if this is uh Robin Denholm the new chairman coming in and and saying, "Look, we're going to do corporate governance di- differently around here." There was some sense that these folks kind of represent the Elon click on the board. Uh <laughs> With with Kimball, Elon's brother, Kimball Musk. Uh, obviously, Kimball isn't going anywhere because he's a he's Elon's brother and he's a significant shareholder. Um, but but that this was maybe trying to, uh, as part of a discussion with the SEC or somebody, or maybe just to try and preempt an unfortunate discussion with the Justice Department or something. That they're trying to institute some more serious. Uh, corporate governance controls here, and that might mean reshaping the board. Uh, Again, I think we're not going to know the full story for a while, but we'll know it eventually. Somebody will will write the book. Mm -hmm. But but right now, it's it's yet another one of those Tesla things where, oh, that's interesting. We can develop hypotheses about what happened and and you know the bear people will the, the bearish people will develop their hypothesis and the bullish people will develop their hypothesis and there will be just enough evidence that you can't tell who's right and <laughs> I mean, there's so many things with tesla boiled down to that yeah it, it, it's interesting to me you know uh, the sec had the company increase the size of its board by a couple members back in the fall and now we're seeing you know the shrink uh, shrink uh, turning back around the other way 
again, something to follow, just something to lay into the greater tapestry of what's going on with this company. You know, kind of as we go away, John, you know, this company, it's the most divisive stock in the stock market, and it's not close. I, I think people on either side of this company um, are, are, are very convinced um, that, that, that their viewpoint is correct. And, I, you know, that's what makes a market, right? I mean, there's buyers and mm-hmm. sellers every day, and I think that's really important. I'll say for my view, there's just a lot of red flags of this company right now that I'm personally not comfortable with. Um, you know, I, as I said off the top, I own some puts. I, we'll see how things play out. Um, but, uh, John, uh, any advice for folks looking at Tesla today, or how do you think people should view the company moving forward? It's priced for perfection. Even at $240 a share, it is priced for perfect execution and market dominance within a decade. And if you can step away from you know, a fervent desire to see their mission accomplished and just look at the execution of this particular company, um, it is awfully, awfully hard to see that happening. Yep. It, 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 it just is. And, and that doesn't mean Tesla is going to go out of business, but you know, I, I keep thinking about the resets we saw around some of the more hyped stocks during the dot-com boom. I'm old enough to have been an investor in 1999 and 2000 and remember that well. And I, I keep thinking there is a future for Tesla where you know, the stock completely blows up and the thing trades at 15 bucks for years and years. And I, I think investors looking at buying in at 240 or, or at holding at, at 240 need to or, or whatever it is by the time this podcast runs later today. <laughs> which, yeah, it's around 240 right now, I think. Uh, I think you really need to think about that. And I hear people talking about taking out home equity lines and putting it into Tesla stock and stuff. And, you know, we saw a lot of this in a more compressed time frame in 1998, 1999, and that ended badly for a whole lot of people. It, it, just think about what you're doing here. It, it is entirely possible to support the mission of Tesla and to support uh, a, a global movement towards uh, zero emissions uh, transportation options and to say, holy smokes, this company is way overvalued. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and, and and for me, the car. I mean, it's a really impressive car. I mean, an electric vehicle, the performance, the way it can accelerate. You know, they they really created this market. You know, they started doing the over-air software updates that now the entire industry is starting to adopt. Uh, they created an entire new look for the vehicle. They they smartly realized, hey, we don't need this front grille on our car. Let's make this smooth, so our car looks looks totally different from every car on the road. Um, but again, as you look at the business from a fundamental point of view, I, it's really hard for me to see a, a clear path to growth here. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they succeed, but uh, but we'll see. John, I'm, we'll have you back on, I'm sure, to discuss that this story is just far from over. All right. Thanks very much, Nick. Yep. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool On. Fool On.